This is Artist Stories, a podcast that centers experiences of artists whose lives have left a lasting imprint on the Southern Arizona creative ecosystem. I'm Janice Sanchez. And I'm Ami Robles. And today we welcome Angelina Ramirez, flamenco dancer, choreographer, and teaching artist. Angelina, thank you for joining us on Artist Stories. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I want to begin by congratulating you on your Project Creosote Award. And I know that essentially this funding provided seed money, right, to begin a new project titled Manos Trabajadoras. Can you tell us a bit about that project and, you know, what, what was happening in the moment? What was the catalyst for the concept? It was the year 2020, and um, we have hit a pandemic. And for many artists and gig workers, life and work was put on pause, canceled, postponed. And so that's exactly what I was experiencing. At the time, I was a, um, I was the found, I am the founder and was the co-director of a company, a Phoenix-based company. Um, Flamenco por la Vida, that I have co-directed for over 10 years here in Mm -hmm. Phoenix and in Arizona. And um, we had just opened a dance studio, um, FPLV Studios, and um, while celebrating this new adventure, we all of a sudden had to close our doors. Um, Mm -hmm. at At first it was, you know, until further notice, and then it turned into this is unsustainable. Um, we don't know how to keep it running and keep it open in such uncertain times. So made a very difficult decision to close. In the middle of all that, pers- I had a lot of personal, like family things come about. We, um, my spouse Elisa Radcliffe. Um, had a sick family member in Albuquerque. And since, you know, everything going on, we had decided to go ahead and go to Albuquerque to help with the family, navigate what was happening, um, and which turned into, um, sadly, a family loss. So uh, we had then decided, okay, well, let's come back home and figure out what we're going to do during this pandemic. And in that time, we were we were renters, and our landlord had given us a 30-day notice to vacate because they were going to take the time to renovate. During that, I decided, okay, we're for sure going to close the dance studio doors. So we had kind of moved everything. We put everything in a pod, went to Albuquerque, stayed there, helped the family with this transition. And I essentially was out of work this whole time. You know, I had purpose. I was there to help with some healing, to help kind of figure out structure. And we were there for a solid year. And we decided to come home to Arizona. Unfortunately, then at that time, it was just really quite expensive. I have been out of work. um, And we thought that Tucson was probably a more cheaper way to kind of, uh, a cheaper way of living and also a new leaf, so to say. We we thought this is a good opportunity to try something new. I, I'm middle-aged. 
I am, I've been working as an artist for many, many years. I've been at this for a very long time. And early on my career, when I was knew that I wanted to be a full-time artist, I really dedicated myself in flamenco training and you know, classes and just embodying myself in flamenco and giving myself resources and taking opportunities to perform and to create and um, also learn how to produce. So I don't have a college degree. I spent most of my time just really focused on dance and flamenco art. And I came to back to New City. Um, I'm from Tucson, Arizona, but I haven't been living there for 17 years. So I came back home kind of still with this fresh start. And we were still in the middle of a pandemic. And I didn't know how to navigate the space, how to be in person. Can I be in person with people and teach them about flamenco? Um, how, how do I navigate this? And I just knew that I needed to start making income. And as a <laughs> middle-aged person, you turn around and you just feel like, where is, you know, where do I go? Where do I turn? How to support my family? So I, you know, started just to kind of do some in like research. I was curious, like I have experience in work, you know, but I thought, how, how can I really just get back into creativity, but also start to bring in some steady income. And I had decided to really kind of search in my roots and think about like, what do Mexicana women, what are we known for? What do we do? How do we serve the community? And I actually started to do some online research and I'm looking at these potential jobs that were available to me. And it was like in a kitchen, um, babysitting, cleaning houses or, you know, a housemaid, if you will. And I had decided, okay, like I want, I'm really curious to know like how that is going to change me and also my movement in my body as a dancer, as a mover. I found a job at a hotel in Tucson um, to be a, a hotel cleaner. I can tell you this, the manual labor was some of the hardest work that I have ever done in my life. Physically taxing. Uh, it was in the middle of summer in Arizona. We still had to show up. Um, it was a motor hotel. So the hotel rooms were basically to access the hotel rooms. They were outside. So from bouncing from hotel to hotel room, we were with a cart and like doing this outside. And so I had decided, I was like, what does this mean for my, for my artistry? What does this mean for my movement in flamenco? What does this mean for my story as a person who needs to bring, you know, needs to make some income and, 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 and provide for my family? Incredible. Oh my goodness. So this project is in the works and I know you are collaborating with a with a local guitarist and experimenting with the movement that came to your body in 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 performing the tasks of the job. Can you talk a little bit about that collaboration with a musician and what does that mean to the project? 
my very dear friend, Misael Barraza, we've been working together for many years, and he is such an incredible flamenco guitarist and classical guitarist. Uh, he has worked really hard in his craft, and I've always leaned on him for support, both musically and also how to kind of sustain the purity of what flamenco is. Conceptual work in flamenco is relatively new. You know, I think just kind of having his support, knowing how much I love his creations, his music, I just, um, in the experience I've already, I've always had with Misael working with him for so many years, I just, he is my go-to. I just, I love him so much and he's so supportive of me. So I think adding to a relationship like that's just been, that we've had for so long, I just knew that I could trust him for the support and I knew that his music would help also then bring this story to life better, you know, and more beautifully. And so it's an ongoing project, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, he's just been very gracious to listen and work with me and support me in this idea. I would love to know, how did flamenco find you? I know you grew up in Tucson. Yeah, I uh, started uh, my first flamenco class when I was nine years old, and it was through the Tucson Parks and Rec programs. It was summer. We had just finished school, and my idea of the perfect summer was just really to play and be home and watch TV. My mom was not having any of that. No, you know, which really encouraged us to be active. It was 1990 or, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, and classes were in a catalog. So (laughs) she came in with a book and and just kind of picked for me. It was going to be dance and then started kind of reading through the dance classes available. And I was just being, you know, like, oh, whatever, whatever, just tell me where to go and she said, okay, well, here, choose between these two. And she uh, asked me if I was interested in folklorico or flamenco. And she read the descriptions for each one. And I just was, you know, I don't care, I don't, you know. And I did a little game in my head, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And I landed on flamenco and the the rest is history. It's just incredible. I mean, the decision by your mother to sign you up for something and the eeny, meeny, miny, mo. It's just, do you feel like it's like fate? Yeah, it just, it's a, a flamenco found me. Yeah. You know, like it, we found each other in such a really funny, kooky way. And I just, I fell in love with it so fast and mm-hmm. I was dedicated, you know, I, everything else was just something to get through as fast as I could, just so I can get to flamenco. I've been very fortunate to be supported by such amazing teachers. Um, And they just kept encouraging me. And yes, I'm I'm here and I'm still, I still think about it all the time. And I still rush to get through everything else to get to flamenco. So, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about your art upbringing? You mentioned there were several people that helped you along the way. Can you tell us more about that? And you know, who are some of your influences in flamenco? 
Yeah. So um, really, if it wasn't for my first teacher, Deanna Pierce, who is the teacher that I found at Tucson Parks and Rec, she had taught one session and then had decided that she did not want to do the programs, participate in the programs at Parks and Rec anymore. So there were no more flamenco classes to be offered. But there were two young girls in her class, myself and another one, Bobby Joe. And she had invited us to continue to teach us at her private studio in her home. So we did that for a little bit. My first performance was with her at uh, the Tucson Folk Festival. I studied with her for a while and then she had decided to stop. She couldn't teach me anymore. So I went like a good, almost a year, not so, not quite a year, but we were looking for another flamenco teacher here in Tucson. And my mom found Olivia Rojo. Olivia really was the one that just came at me with the discipline. I think she saw my potential, really just took me under her wing. And at that point, it was about growing with flamenco and not just kind of learning the moves of flamenco and looking cute in my flamenco dress. She really helped me with my journey and how I become flamenco. What does that look like to me? And what does that look like in me? For most of my teenage years, you know, I studied with Olivia. She was just an amazing teaching artist. And she cared so much about us that, you know, she brought in people, other artists from out of the country, um, from Spain and in, in and nationally. And we just got to work with musicians and other dancers who would come and teach us you know, moves and choreography. And then we got to perform all of those. So she just really was about exposing us. She's my dear friend now. And I think that's what's so lovely is that we just are still connected and we're, and I'm an adult now and we can talk about, you know, flamenco in this different way as our life, as it being part of our lifestyles. Then when it comes to my profession, how, where that had been creative was through the National Institute of Flamenco in Albuquerque, New Mexico. There, the family, the Insignias family, um, Eva, Joaquin, and Marisol, which was a mother and her two, her two kids, were running the school in Albuquerque, long-running school, long family history of flamenco artists and the flamenco scene in Albuquerque. Um, my dear friends, flamenco sister, Mele Martinez and I, who grew up teach or learning from Olivia Rojo, we were in our early 20s and we, we both were like, let's take this on, let's keep doing this more, let's expose ourselves to more. So we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico to participate and take class at the conservatory. And then they were starting a new flamenco company called Ihastros, which was the, an American flamenco repertoire company. We got into the company. It was my first company experience. And I stayed there for a couple years and just did all things flamenco. And mm-hmm. that's where I really learned structure in the art form and also learned that this was basically the foundation of my life really like moving forward this was how I was gonna make my life and this was how I was gonna work and 
I was going to continue. And I, I was just so grateful for their philosophies and their teaching structure that this is still how I um, share the art form today. I have a very special place in my heart for them. They're part of my family, my flamenco family. Beautiful. I love knowing that, you know, the Southwest is so rich in this, in this dance form and this artistry. You have been so pivotal, a pillar, and especially in Arizona to keep it visible and growing and so I just really appreciate that. I agree with you, Janae. Like it's so, it fills my heart with joy to listen to Angelina's stories, uh, like how she had uh, her mother support, all of her instructors, teachers, especially like Olivia Rojo. So I was just thinking that a lot of artists don't have that or don't get to find those important persons in their life that are there to support them in any way. So I'm glad you did, Angelina. And thank you to your mom. Thank you to Olivia. Thank you to Diana. <laughs> yeah, I am so grateful for this that opportunity and that experience. And talking a little bit more about flamenco, after doing some research and reading articles, uh, well, we know that flamenco is rooted in the traditional Gitano culture. Can you explain what are the difference or similarities from traditional flamenco uh, that you have seen throughout your career? What's beautiful about flamenco is that it never keeps growing because it is a lifestyle. It is um, a way of expression. And so our emotions are different every day. And so flamenco definitely gives me the tools to like express those emotions and also, you know, there's never, you're always learning, you know, yes, you know, you can call me a master or whatever. I don't, just because of the, it's the time that I put in that, yes, makes me a master, but will I ever really master it? Because like, are we ever really going to master life? You know, mm -hmm. it's a process. Also finding my place in flamenco is definitely a journey. You know, yeah, I can move, I can move, I can dance, I could do choreographies, you know, I could perform. To really kind of own flamenco for yourself, you got to be a little bit careful because I need to be respectful of a history that didn't include me, you know, yeah. but that doesn't mean it still can't tell my story. You really just got to put a lot of empathy into the art and the history and acknowledge those things. And it kind of took me a while to really just kind of then make it my own. I, I really sometimes felt like an imposter. I, I felt like, you know, should I be doing this? I, this isn't my story. Mm -hmm. This isn't my art form, you know, and, but get now to where I am and been doing this for a really long time. I cannot stop doing it. You know, I cannot yeah. because I love so much. So I think it's about, you know, I, I, I show respect. I, I educate myself, but then I also allow myself space to be a flamenca and to, you know, 
and to tell my personal story and also my cultural story, my history. And it's really just quite beautiful. If you really think about it, we could start doing the mathematics of it. The, the close similarities of Roma Gitano culture and my Mexicana, my Chicanidad, my Mestiza self. You know, I I found myself, I find myself now today really just kind of looking into that and researching that and putting it out on the dance floor. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was reading an an article by Border Lore and Mm -hmm. I found it very interesting, uh, the part where they were talking about soleas and how to Mm -hmm. be able to do that. Like you, like you have to look very deep like deep into your soul like what you're feeling at the time so I was wondering maybe I'm just off topic but I was wondering if Manos Trabajadoras has helped you like do soleas now in your art practice or does it have any relationship like because I I know that what you told us in in the beginning about you working, uh, doing room service, working at a hotel, finding yourself in a very different place. So I was wondering if there was a relationship with Soleas and Manos Trabajadoras. So flamenco itself, I think, is um, attractive for audiences that don't really know much about flamenco and its elements, they get really taken away by, you know, the attitude and the paceness and the athleticism and the, you know, what's really beautiful about Solea or Soleares is that, you know, as, as, a, as a student and as someone who's, you know, going through life in this journey, it kind of forces you to slow down and be more vulnerable and you have some more space and some time to actually relay, you know, a story. Ami, you know, I thank you for that question because, you know, I never really thought about it until right now, you know, and it's funny how things just kind of happen organically without you knowing. And I'm just, when you say that, you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like this, this isn't, and I think with that comment, you're that that's going to allow me to kind of think about that a little bit more. And I think that's just going to add some more richness to this project. You know, Definitely. Um, I I just recently, like in 2018, performed my first solea because I felt like I wasn't worthy to do it. Oh. You know? And so um, I had I produced I self produced a show called Ser. And I closed it off um, with a solea and I was nervous, you know, because here I am, you know, wanting to be respectful of what solea means and, and, and the story of solea and who performs solea and who's known to perform solea, you know, and mm-hmm. these people that I've researched and that I've studied for many years. And then I'm going to put this right on the table, you know, and I want to do it right. Yeah. Um, and so I've done it once and I haven't done it yet. I think your question now just kind of allows me to kind of keep on with that journey of the solea and like how I can perfect and even, you know, try to even master my presentation of 
you know, my solea, my soleares. Yeah. So I thank you for that. And I'm, I'm putting it in my notes so I don't forget that because <laughs> I really like to explore that. No. Oh, my God. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm, glad I was, I'm glad I was able to help you. <laughs> I'll put you in the credits. Yeah. <laughs> of course. You know, when when you were talking about Solea, uh, I can't imagine, like, the nervousness of performing this this dance that is so important for the flamenco community. And it's, like, some of the hardest dance you'll ever do. I mean, it's something so beautiful that you get this challenge. And when you get to do it and see like, oh, it wasn't that bad, that you feel like you have accomplished something in the flamenco community. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for, I'm excited for that. Like, <laughs> let us know whenever you perform it again, because I want to see that. I will. Thank you. Yeah, I, it has been two and a half years since I've even been on the stage. So I, I'm, it's been kind of building up inside me this urge to get back onto it and start doing yeah. this work again, you know? And so I do, you're gonna, it's, you haven't seen a lot from me in a very long time. And then I think pretty soon it's just gonna be like, boom, I'm gonna, I'm like getting ready to just go. And you know, to navigate to navigate then another chapter of my life, you know, another part of me and who I am as an artist is gonna look, I think is exciting because I get to look it's going to look different than it did in 2018. You know, yeah. maybe the nerves will still be there, but I get to kind of grow the story, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what's just really great about flamenco is that it just never like the the rhythm might repeat you might do that same rhythm over and over and over but the movement inside that rhythm inside that moment every time you do it it's different angelina you mentioned the show ser which is a self-produced piece that you choreographed was that that was the last live performance you you were a part of It wasn't the last time I, I danced on stage. Um, there are like many different ways to present flamenco. And one of them is in a show, like a curated uh, conceptual type show with choreographies planned. Everything's pretty much planned in a way that it's structured. Um, another way, which is considered a very it's a different craft is to dance flamenco in like in a tablao setting, which are, smaller stages, smaller group, you know, probably have anywhere from like three to six people like supporting you on stage. And when I say that, uh, flamenco is really best experienced with live everything. So okay. um, okay. what's great about flamenco is that that not only do you have a journey, but you get to do this with a community and with support. And so with a guitarist and a singer and other dancers and percussionists and other musicians. And so, um, and, this, the, and this is a way for us to get together and really like just celebrate the art form in a very pure way. There's a lot of spontaneity. There's a lot of reading each other. There's like just involvement. So 
I, I was doing that at Crescent Ballroom in, in Phoenix, downtown Phoenix, Arizona. We were had a really good um, partnership. Flamenco por la Vida had a good partnership with Crescent. They supported us. So with that said, we were we were in their lounge like every Saturday night for many years. And so I got to do this like every week. Like, you know, I go and perform and, you know, I'd be with my friends and, and we would just do flamenco for two hours, you know, and, and feel this, you know, it's an, it's an intimate space. Mostly, always the audience is like right there. We would, then we would produce these bigger events. And so we produced a, an event called Lluvia Flamenca. And it was a kind of a festival-like event where we would bring in acts. And we did this for, um, I think, six seasons, um, where we brought in national artists, international artists, and we just had a night in their main room and, and on their main stage and, um, and did a, a bigger production. In 2018, I had decided, well, maybe we're not going to uh, uh, bring someone in this time special. Maybe I'm not going to just like be the producer and run around and make sure everything's taken care of and, you know, and and stuff like that. Maybe I will actually, you know, present a show. Nice. So, yeah, this was just about my like coming of age, I guess, and also just kind of becoming a flamenca and, and really giving myself permission to call myself that. I was supported. I brought in some really good friends, all from, well, most from the Southwest. I, I brought in my good friend, Ziani Barrera, who's from the East Coast in New York. And I just kind of invited everyone to kind of also participate in, in their coming out stories as well as flamenco artists. You know, like we're, we're, we're all mostly American and, you know, let's just really show these people that, yes, these other, these other artists that we bring in that are from Spain and we just, you know, we're so grateful for and we admire and we learn so much from, we can do that too. We put in the time, you know, and we've right. we've, dedicated our, we've dedicated our time to flamenco, and we can really give the audience and tell the audience our flamenco story. And it was just like such a beautiful experience. If I could just live that one more time, that would just be amazing. And you know, I still get together with my friends who participated, and we we still talk about it because it did also just kind of it was a it was a project that brought us even closer together. It was a really beautiful experience, and it was just really important for me because uh, I also struggle with my appearance and how I appear as a flamenco artist, you know, and I, I want to please the audience. And it was just like one of the times where I was just like, I'm going to appear as myself. I'm going to like, you know, wear what I want. I'm going to, I don't, I'm not this like this fantasy that you want to see. I'm not this like thin, you know, beautiful, you know, flamenco ruffly, mm. like, perfection that you want like I'm going to be this the nitty-gritty of like what really flamenco is I'm just going to be like pure and just want to be honest 
mm-hmm. and I wanted to be vulnerable. Um, at the very end of my solia, I cut my hair in front of the audience. Oh my goodness. I just, I decided it was just like, well, I don't need to be this cookie cutter version of what I think I need to be in order for you to like me. And wow. for, in order for you to listen to me, you know, I think that I've decided to stop doing flamenco for you. I'm going to do flamenco for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a really funny, like, it's all very layered, you know, because I've been doing this for me for a very long time. But that was just like absorbing information and then embodying it. But, you know, I did find myself at times just turning around and just trying to be like what I thought I should be. I put a lot of pressure on myself and how I looked and my costumes. And I do think that those things are important. And when you put on those things, you do, you like turn into, you have a different energy. Um, But what does it look like if I don't do that? That doesn't make me less of a flamenco artist. If I decide not to put on the, the dress, the polka dot dress and have my long hair and put the floor, you know, on the top of, my my head you know and my in my earrings and if i decide not to do that and i have the, and i do the same dance outside of that costume does that make me less of a flamenco artist no how do i play what does that do for me and how do i how do i work with that and how does it make me feel even you know that was also very scary for me like because uh, i thought that it didn't you know that i'm not a flamenco artist unless i can put you know all mm-hmm. these you know those dolls that are naked and then you like clip on the paper dresses and stuff like that like yeah just not that you know I don't have to do that in order to to do flamenco not all the time anyway you know not all the time well you mentioned that well, in addition to being a performer and a choreographer, you are also a teaching artist. And can you describe how you came into this role and what kind of doors did this open for you? Yeah, so I feel like I've never really identified myself as a teaching artist. It's such a beautiful description or you know way to describe yourself, a term that we're using these days. I love it because teaching is an artistry. Um, not every amazing uh, artist, mover, dancer is a great teacher, you know, and that's okay. I think where I got most of my approach to flamenco and sharing flamenco is a lot through what I got through um, the National Institute of Flamenco, just kind of following um, their their structure. You know, I, I teach all ages and really, and I try to share the art form for anybody who is interested and also of all abilities. So a lot of my, when I started calling myself or when I, when people started calling me a teaching artist, I would, I would say, <laughs> I was like, oh, a teaching artist is um, when I got into creative aging work, approaching flamenco in, in a way to be able to teach movement to individuals with disabilities and maybe cognitive challenges Um, because when we really think about it, when we think about dance and art in general, it's healing, Yes, you know? So now it's about like being able to look at flamenco as a healing tool 
an, an exercise tool, something good for your brain, something good for your body. And we use all of our elements and all of our being as a flamenco artist. And so um, what those are like so super beneficial for those who need the practice and need the exposure to move a part of the body that maybe hasn't been able to move, but you know, it, it doesn't have to move like mine. Yeah. You know, that's another great thing about flamenco. Like we all kind of look different. We all can be individuals. And so why can't the, why can't the students also be their individual selves? Yeah. You know, and, I'm interested in flamenco, but you know, I, I, you know, I have a disability and for me, that's no problem. That's just, that's no problem. Let's, you are still very capable to be a mover, not just in flamenco, but you're still very capable to be a part of uh, society and be into, um, into create a journey for yourself in art. It- that is beautiful how you describe how flamenco is made for everyone, for all of all, all the communities around. And you know, have you ever played that? It's called bop it. I don't know, like how you have to use your body and your mind, and it's like a yes. challenge. So, I'm, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Angelina, when you came down to uh, to my hometown to our Prieta and Douglas for Dance in the Desert. Well, mm-hmm. I was like in my in my brain. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is gonna be fun. Uh, I have rhythm and I feel like flamenco is gonna be for me, right? <laughs> and I remember when you, <laughs> when you started teaching the class, it felt like bop it because I was like it felt <laughs> it was so much fun. But at the same time, I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, my God, I, I don't remember the rhythm. And my feet were trying to move but couldn't. And my hands were trying to do something. And then I would look at you. You were doing it, like, with so much uh, grace. And, like, it looks so good when you were doing it. And I was like, what is this? But at the, like, but it was fun. It didn't feel like something, like. Like, oh, I'm done. It, it was like, I want to keep on doing this. It was so much fun. But yeah, your, cl- your class humbled me. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, honestly, it was amazing. And I'm, I'm so happy that you came down. And because I know, I can tell you that in my community, flamenco is not common. Like, we don't really have flamenco instructors around. So, like, I'm pretty sure like me a lot of the other dance students were amazed by flamenco and will try to do it again sometime because it did it did feel like we were healing and just using every part of our bodies and just enjoying the music uh thank you for that oh thank you i am also very grateful to yvonne and dance in the desert for like this continued partnership and that experience to be able to be in your space and in your community. And with, um, uh, it was, it was a, just an experience for me as well that I'm totally grateful for. And I can be back anytime. (laughs) Definitely. 
Yeah, you have a, you have a place in Agua Prieta. Like you can come down whenever you want. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> and Helena, before we conclude our conversation, I would love to know what's coming up for you, and also if we can depart with words that you would provide any emerging artists thinking about making a transition into like a full-time art career? I feel like what's on the horizon for me right now is I'm right now I'm in this, this like rebuilding this transition of like rebuild and rethinking and getting back to work. It was really challenging for me to navigate how I do flamenco in a pandemic and individual artists. It was all very different, but for for me, it just maybe it was because also what I was going through with family and with our move, and you know, there were just other layers that were taking up my space for creativity, and you know, worried about the pandemic, and um, but I'm feeling a lot more. I'm like ready to just come home, you know, which is in a space where like flamenco is everything that I'm doing in my day. And I mean, I, I think fl I'm doing flamenco every day, even so it's just part of me. And I'm, I'm in my sleep doing flamenco, but you know, I know that, but as far as being active in the community, I feel ready to come back and start to navigate what's next. Manos Trabajadoras is um, definitely something that I am eager to keep exploring and to finish um, to make it into a work of art. I do have a plan for it. It's kind of a collaborative event with some friends of mine who just wrote a book called World of Our Mothers. And it's a book um, just about to come out, uh, published through the University of Arizona, Yvonne and Miguel Montier, along with their daughter, their daughter, Maritza Tafor, um, is a really good friend of mine. And actually, we do a lot of thinking about flamenco curriculum for people on the spectrum. And so her and I, we, we, na we navigate that work together. But her parents just like wrote a book about stories of immigrants that come and cross the border to live and to work. You know, it was a coincidence that we were kind of like doing this kind of similar together in totally two different spaces and in different storytelling ways. You know, 2023 is going to be a big working year, I feel for me. I get to create and I get to, I love to collaborate. I'm a huge collaborator. Also want to get back on stage. Like, not on a regular basis. I felt, I feel like I've done that for a very long time. <laughs> and so I think that, you know, when there's a shift in your life and, and, and things start to change, like it's okay to kind of change your approach. I mean, gig life is so hard, um, but it's just so beautiful and rewarding. But I, I, I just like want to put my focus and my energy and like more um, like project based work these days. But I do plan maybe before the year to get back on stage to like get with some friends and just have a lot of fun and just do flamenco in its purest. Um, and then so beautiful. You had one more question for me. I forgot. Yeah, just um, advice for artists oh, yeah. who are in the stages of perhaps transitioning into becoming a full-time artist. Yeah, so... I think no matter what, you just don't want to cheat yourself from the opportunity. I think that if this is what you want to do, trust your gut. 
and trust yourself that you can do it and surround yourself with people that can that tell you that you can do it. Uh, it is a, uh, bumpy ride, but if you can just make your art your own, you know, then we as audiences and people that experience your art will feel the authenticity, will feel the honesty into it. So, and you're going to navigate it and you're going to mess up. You're going to do work that you're going to just not be proud of. <laughs> uh, you know, it, things are going to be successful and things are going to be not so successful. And I think that's just part of the journey. Don't forget to check your resources. There are resources out there for you. Um, there are grants out there to help you with some financial aid in order for you to really just kind of get to freely explore your art and not have to worry so much about how am I going to pay for this. Um, it takes does take just a, lo- a little bit of work and but then also check those resources for you because there are people out there, there are arts administrators out there, there are grant writers out there that are willing to help you. And um, if you can't find them, I'm here for you. So um, I'm, you know, I'm here to share my journey, not only on my art, but how I sustain my art, you know, and that does take a lot of work and I, I applaud you for it. It. And, um, and, you know, just to keep going, it's, it's at the end of it all, it just pays off. It just um, makes, it's about your quality of life and you want to do what's best for you. So beautiful. I'm taking notes right now. (laughs) You have my number, you can call me. And, you know, I've been so lucky to have that support for myself. So, um, you know, I've the people around, that I surround myself with, the people around me have just been so supportive and have helped me and taken time to, you know, navigate things with me and, and try to find the right the right fits for me and, you know, and recommend like I get emails from friends and be like, hey, I saw this grant you should really look into mm-hmm. it. I'm like, man, I would not have ever even seen that. Thank you. You know, so right. um yeah, I think it's about just keep building your community and uh, it's possible. It's hard, but it's gratifying and it's definitely possible. Thank you, Angelina. Thank you so much. This has been Artist Stories. To listen to more podcasts, visit kxci.org. Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the City of Tucson and Pima County. Music for this podcast was created by Jonathan Rodriguez.